You're listening to The Middle, the show about the Australia-China connection. We're bringing greater balance and broad expertise to all aspects of the Australia-China relationship. Welcome to The Middle, the show about one of the most vital debates in Australia, the rise of China and what it means for this country. We are coming to you from Tourist ER Studios in the heart of Sydney and on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people, the Eora Nation. My name is Peter Frey, the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition, and joining me today is my co-presenter and esteemed colleague from UTS, uh, University of Technology Sydney, Walling Sun. Hello, Walling. Hello, Peter. Uh, you can hear The Middle on 2SER across the Community Broadcast Network and on your favourite podcast app. And even better still, you can see it with Mandarin subtitles on YouTube. More details about that at the end of the show. So, Wanning, we better explain why we've called this show The Middle. Yes, we'd better. I think there could be a few reasons. Um, first, um, Australia and is increasingly caught between in the middle, caught between the U.S. and China. Yeah. And 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 two, uh, China, of course, is called the Middle Kingdom. Play on word, if you like. Oh yeah. And three, uh, I think there are a lot of people in the country that feel that they are actually stuck in the middle of this debate. Yeah, that's right. I, I, we think that there is a kind of constructive middle path in this uh, in this debate. Mm-hmm. So we want to shed some light and rather than heat. Does that cover everything, Molly? Well, not quite. There, there could be another reason. That is, uh, uh, haven't you heard of the uh, Aristotle's idea of the uh, doctrine of the golden mean? Wow. Or Confucius' idea of being in the middle? You, uh, you should tell us about that at some point. But let's crack on. You're very, very wise, Wanning. Today's show is all about multiculturalism and racism. And obviously, there is much to discuss and today we are very lucky to have Professor Andrew Yakabowicz from uh, University of Technology in Sydney. He's a sociologist. And also on the uh, Skype is uh, Jay Yong Lo. He's based in Melbourne and he's a commentator, he's a policy analyst, he's a writer, and he's becoming uh, very active in the current debate. So welcome to you both. Great to be here. Thank you very much. So before we start, could you two tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be uh, interested in, in the topic of race relations in Australia? Let, let, let's start with Jay Yong first. Um, well, thanks, Wanning. It's great to, to be here with yourself and Peter and to Andrew as well to have this important discussion around multi, uh, multiculturalism and racism. Um, in terms of my interest, um, it's been a real personal interest. Um, from my perspective, being an Australian of Chinese heritage, I feel um, increasingly being caught in the middle. So caught in the middle between my um, heritage and my homeland, you know, her- heritage being of Chinese origin and homeland being Australia. Um, and uh, I've always been interested in uh, the Australian Chinese community in terms of its history, its contributions, um, and also the potential for them to be an incredible uh, soft power resource for Australia and to a certain extent China as well in terms of bringing both of these amazing countries together. Um, and when this debate really occurred, um, really started off last year in relation to the ABC Four Corners Fairfax um, investigation around Chinese influence and interference, I felt that it's important for Chinese Australians to have a voice. Um, it's been very uh, disappointing to see the limited 
amount of commentary from Chinese Australians in this space. And I, I'm, I'm sure we can get into a bit further around why, but um, because of that, I felt like our community needs to have a say and it's, we can't sit on the sidelines any longer. Okay. Uh, thank you, Jay Yong. And Andrew, last time I checked, you're not Chinese, but I do know that you have some Chinese, familial Chinese connections. And also you're a sociologist and you have a long-standing interest in the history of the Chinese communities in this country. So tell us a little bit about your research in that area. Well, I started work, I guess, on the question of the relationship between China and Australia when I was about four. Um, my parents were um, Holocaust survivors who'd spent the wartime years in Shanghai. And from my earliest days, I, I heard stories about this curious country where they basically survived before coming to Australia. Um, more recently, um, as a grown-up, I've been involved in researching issues around multiculturalism since the end of the 1960s, so that's quite a way. 50 years nearly, it's terrifying. And um, over the last, probably last 20 years, I've, I've developed a much more intense interest mm -hmm. in China and the, uh, the Chinese relationship to the West. So I've got a lot of connections, mm, intersection and, lines. Yeah, yeah, lots of lot of intersecting lines. Mm. So let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, Jay Young just mentioned uh, this question of the Chinese participation in race debates in this country. Uh, that's a very interesting subject, and as he makes the point, it's not often discussed. Andrew, you've done a bit of work around this. What do you think is the contribution of the Chinese community in this in the race debate? Well, I guess if you kick off the end of the 19th century when anti-Chinese feeling really started to become solidified in what became the Australian Constitution, um, many of the Australian Chinese population of the day thought that, Australia, that if Australia became an independent nation, they would be recognised as citizens. And they got a, the shock of their life when the Australian government brought in the White Australia policy as one of their first acts. And over the past um, 30 years or so, um, the Chinese become more actively involved in um, areas like, particularly around human rights. And it's in a piece I wrote about five or six years ago, I argued that the critical question for all immigrants is what, in a, in a country like Australia, is what will the state, what will the, what will the, uh, the politics of the country do to defend their human rights, even though they are different? In many ways, from the majority population. Yeah. Well, just just on that point, before we go to Daniel, uh, what will they do? What's the answer to that question? Well, I think it's a, it's constantly a point of tension. Mm. Um, the last big bounce on this was around the fight around 18C. Mm. The uh, not that long the, ago. The, not that well. In fact, not at all long ago. Mm. And the Chinese community, including the groups that had formed in the 1980s again and around the Blaney period, mm. um, and against Hanson and so on at, at other times. They were extremely active in the coalition that ultimately or currently has defeated the attempts by the alt-right to um, get rid of uh, 18C in Australia. So I think there's been a continuing presence. What isn't there so much is a public voice, mm -hmm. and I think that's where we're about to go. Yeah. Well, talking about public voice, Jay Young, since uh, you became quite uh, actively involved in this debate and wanting to become uh, a public voice, uh, you seem to have copped a lot of criticism from uh, some people. So what exactly have you been accused of? 
And, and why do you think they, they are criticizing you? Um, well, I've been accused of uh, many different names uh, over the over the times since growing up in Australia. Like, um, you know, racism was a big part of um, of my experience growing up. Um, in answer to your question, warning, I mean, since I've spoken publicly about these issues in relation to um, the Australia-China relationship, the role of Chinese Australians, um, foreign influence and interference, um, I've been called. Uh, many different things. I've been accused of many different things, um, such as a Communist Party sympathiser, um, a Beijing troll, um, a CCP stooge, a panda hugger, and even one time being accused of being un-Australian and a traitor to Australia. Uh, these are some of the responses that I've, I've received for uh, the articles that I've written and drafted um, and some of the public comments I've made on Twitter and even on media as well. Um, it's really disappointing because uh, it's disappointing in a way that Chinese Australians, for those who wish to advocate for a more middle ground and a more moderate approach to the relationship with China, is being accused of such things. Um, Andrew was talking about uh, the the involvement of um, of Chinese Australians in issues like human rights and politics. But whilst I endorse wholeheartedly what he said about 18C and other issues such as the rise of Hansenism in the in the 90s, we have really seen um, an absence in in and pres an absence in presence in relations to this particular issue around foreign influence and our and our relationship with China. Um, I feel that this issue is more personal compared to some of the other issues like 18C. Hence, why there are very little um, uh, voices from Chinese Australians and also. Um, it's much more um, it's much more complicated and sophisticated as well because of them not wanting to be labelled as such things. Hence, why we see very little voices in the public. So th th that sort of comment goes a little bit to the question that we've looked at before on the middle, which is around participation, and we might get to that. You know, participation at a political level, for instance, in the well, frankly, the lack of participation at a political level. But you've you've singled in on uh, Clive Hamilton's uh, comments yeah. in the silent invasion. This claim that up to forty percent of Chinese uh, community in this country are more loyal to the People's Republic than they are to Australia, which is so. You really honed in on that. Why did you pick on that? Uh, well, first of all, um, I was concerned around the Chinese Australian community being labelled as such. Um, uh, I questioned the claim because. Uh, are wanting to know further whether there was any um, academic or uh, rigorous research behind that. Um, and is there? Is there any? Have you found any evidence behind that? Remarkable. Oh, ba based on uh, based on uh, Mr. Hamilton's response uh, was uh, he obtained those figures based on conversations with two or three friends who happened to be of Australian of Chinese origin. So, um, well, that, that's the real the real concern. That makes is, it a um, fact. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that could in some circumstances, but um, I was concerned that our community was being um, labelled and pigeonholed um, and also painted with the same brush um, in relations to this. Without, I mean, look, if there was any substantial academic evidence, then um, I'm happy to be corrected. But um, in Mr Hamilton's response to me was, no, it was uh, a conversation I've had with a couple of friends um, who happen to know the community really well, and this is based on their estimation. So, oh. um, you know, I, I found it ironic because Mr Hamilton is um, 
professor of ethics. So um, <laughs> I guess the the, um, the the curiosity that I had around those particular numbers, um, I was able to um, find some more detail in relation to how he came about to that conclusion. So I mean, it, really it sounds funny, but I mean, it sounds ridiculous. But at the same time, it, as you say, it could be quite pernicious, right? Such a such yeah. a thing. So so he's saying he told you that three people between them know 40% of the Australian <laughs> Chinese community. Let's say that 600,000 people times 40%, quarter of a million people. So these three people know between them quarter of a million people and they know them sufficiently well to know where their deepest loyalties lie. Is this what he's saying? Pretty much. And, the, hey, and, as, anybody cool. who, and as anybody who would know the Australian Chinese right. community as... Um, you know, uh, you would know, Andrew, in your many years of research, mm. is it's incredibly diverse. It's yeah. an incredibly diverse community. So there are many different views on certain issues, uh, foreign policy included, our relationship with China included. Um, and it's really, really inappropriate to group the entire community together without any substantial research behind it. And more importantly, to accuse that amount of people of being disloyal to Australia is astonishing mm. without I, any academic research behind it. And I would say that uh, he's, uh, Mr. Hamilton is not the only one to make such generalizations. For instance, uh, uh, you probably know, Andrew, recently John Howard wrote an article mm. which says, and I'll quote, China could use its one million experts in Australia to help grow its influence and power in the region. Now, some people would uh, consider that a as a quite a racist remark. But if you ask Mr. Um, ex-Prime Minister himself, he would definitely not agree that he's a racist. So this brings up to the question of what is racism and who actually is a racist? Now, you are an expert on racism. So could you enlighten us a little bit on this very important distinction between racism by intention and racism by consequence? Or racism through ineptitude, which is, I think, probably what we're looking at in the case of John Howard. Um, I think the, the idea of racism essentially is that people take a view of another group of people that they are inferior or dangerous or threatening solely on the basis of their um, physical characteristics. And then they act in such a way as to ensure that those people are excluded, marginalised or um, harassed, pilloried. Um, insulted, offended, whatever it is. Right? So racism is a is not simply a matter of opinion; it's a matter of practice and and um, what people do to each other. Um, and comments like Mr. Howard's were, I think, as his comments have been over many years, actively racist. He thinks there are some people who are very similar to him, who really own the Australian ethos, and people either shape up to that. Or they keep their heads down, mouths shut, and if they want to do more than that, get out of the country. Mm. And, and that brings up a question really to both of you, which is, uh, and, and both through your experience, Jay Young, and, and your work as well and experience, Andrew, that is, do, we, do you think, uh, starting with you, Andrew, that sinophobia is getting better, worse, much the same? There have been regular um, mm. surveys, attitude surveys, research carried out. Um, about uh, how people feel, how how close or distant they feel with other particular ethnic groups over time, and it tends to it tends to change. But in general, in the Australian population, you could say about fifteen percent of the Australian population 
is fairly heavily prejudiced, and they're 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 very Catholic in their tastes. They'll be prejudiced against anything. Small C Catholic. A small C Catholic yeah, in this case. So yes. we don't have a sectarian <laughs> no, no, that's right. <laughs> problem. Okay, yeah, small C Catholic. Yeah. Um, about 20% of the population are very open-minded and welcoming of diversity. And then there's this group in the middle, which is, what, about 65% of the population, which ranges from people who are mildly prejudiced to people who are significantly prejudiced. And the, the, the target of their prejudice really depends on how salient that group is to them at the time. Uh-huh. So if the Chinese are in the news and the threat is perceived to be Chinese, then their anxiety and anger will be focused on the Chinese. But it can shift, as it did in the Australian context. Um, for instance, the, the uh, anger and anxiety about uh, Indo-Chinese shifted in the end of the 1990s very quickly and refocused on Arab Muslims. Yes. Okay. I mean, in, in a very short period of time. Yes. And it's starting to move that way again, unless you live in Melbourne, in which case it's being targeted at... Um, you are listening to The Middle, the show that's dedicated to exploring the relationship between Australia and China. Today, we are very lucky to have Professor Andrew Yakabowicz in the studio and Mr. Jay Yong Lo in Melbourne. Now, over to you, Peter. Thanks, Wanning. Uh, Jay Yong, let's go to you. Um, you were live tweeting the other day when uh, Ross Cameron uh, made some very overt racist comments about Chinese people. Uh, what made this event stand out and what was it? Why do you think he got sacked? Because it, it wasn't the first time that Ross Cameron has, has uh, skated close to the wind. Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that uh, his ultimate employer uh, has some Chinese-looking children? <laughs> well, I think, you know, the Sky News was um, being consistent um, in relations to uh, its responses to their presenters' Uh, spruiking inappropriate remarks. Um, what's, what was interesting in relation to that um, particular incident with Ross Cameron was um, he was um, invoking terms that had um, imperial and colonial connotations to it. Um, I mean, yellow skin, slanted eyes, yeah. these are the terminologies that were quite commonly used, you know, back in the days of, um, you know, the white Australia policy and anti-China sentiment. Um, in places like Australia, the US um, and New Zealand and other places as well. Um, what was interesting was seeing Andrew Bolt come out and defend Ross Cameron uh, in his blog by saying there is no way Ross Cameron is racist because he was only, number one, describing how Chinese people look and, number two, he was actually defending China against um, accusations of interference what my view is just because you are defending china doesn't give you the right and a license to be racist because those particular terminologies slanted eyes yellow skinned have imperial colonial and racist connotations directed towards chinese people um and i think sky news australia made a an appropriate um decision to dismiss him and he is hoping that such incidents will not occur ever again. Could you also uh, tell us your thought about uh, something else that you've written about which is uh, the um, uh, uh, Chinese-Australian Hobart City Council candidate uh, Tang Yongbei and she suffered 
uh, quite a bit of um, a racist attack recently. And what was that about? Well, in relation to that particular incident, um, there was a lot of coverage, particularly from the Murdoch media, the Australian and the Mercury, around uh, Miss Tang's um, candidacy for the Hobart City Council. Um, the Tasmanian Greens were raising a number of uh, questions in relation to Miss Tang's relationships with various um, Chinese entities in China and, and in her capacity as a journalist. Um, what I found interesting with that is when, when you're running as a candidate, and I have a bit of experience in that regard, being a former local councillor and a former deputy mayor here in uh, the city of Monash, one of the, one of the most multicultural cities in, in Melbourne, um, is when you put yourself up as a candidate, um, it is important to be scrutinised um, absolutely by the media, by constituents, but as a candidate, you should be scrutinised for everything, in, including your vision for that particular for the council, uh, your vision for the city that you are aiming to represent, uh, your policy issues around uh, various um, emerging issues like planning and um, in your know, transport infrastructure, etc. But the media was only interested in Miss Tang's relationships with Chinese entities, which I found extremely interesting. Clearly, this was a um, a targeted um, and, and a direct um, assault on her background, and no doubt there was some people who responded um, in 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 the community by painting the words uh, "no chinks" on her election posters. Andrew was talking about before around around um, the potential rise of um, uh, a new form of um, xenophobia or racism in Australia. From a Chinese Australian perspective, um, I'm seeing a new form of xenophobia, and that is less on name-calling in relations to, oh, you know, being, um, you know, yellow or a chink, et cetera. Um, whilst that's still there, um, it is less compared to, you know, the, the earlier periods of Australian history. But what I am seeing is um, an increasing amount of distrust mm. towards Chinese Australians because of the foreign, foreign inter mm. interference debate. Now, that is a concern for a lot of us, especially if Chinese Australians, like all other communities, are aiming towards seeking political office, uh, seeking um, higher positions mm. of authority in, in the corporate world, in, in the media. Um, but having a, a large amount of distrust towards us because of this debate um, is deeply concerning. So you're listening to The Middle with me, Peter Frey, on Warning Sun. Our guest today are Angel Jakobovic, uh, the Emeritus Professor of Sociology <laughs> at the University of Technology of Sydney. Uh, and joining us via Skype, we have writer, research policy advisor, Jay Younglo. <laughs> um, well, I think we've got time for one more question, and I'd love you to ask it. Yes, uh, thanks, Peter. So, Andrew, uh, as a scholar... What would you advise the China, Australian government in its uh, multicultural policy? And also, what would you advise the Chinese communities here in Australia in terms of their identity? I think I'd make one, one general point. The issue of allegiance uh, to foreign nations is at the heart of Australia's mm -hmm. development as a modern nation. Right? We've seen parliamentarian after parliamentarian thrown out of parliament because there was they hadn't appropriately abandoned any possible relationship to a foreign power. Mm. In the Australian context, and I made this comment before, that the, the crucial question, is, I think, about Australian multiculturalism is the relationship between the human rights perspective on, human, on multiculturalism and what that means 
and, if you like, a sort of pathological nationalism, mm. right? um, as it's been described. You know, that the sort of nationalism that is deeply, deeply sick in terms of the fear and the focus that it, that, that it generates. Um, in the Australian context, you're right. There, there are pushes by um, the Chinese government, um, by the Taiwanese government, by the Indian government, by numbers of other governments that have large populations in Australia, to try and sustain some sort of relationship. And there's this huge, in fact, a huge movement across the world of uh, diasporic um, policies, mm. right? Israel has them, uh, the Philippines has mm. them, China has them, etc., etc. Some do them better, some do them worse. Mm. Um, but the, the aim is to use their... Uh, their domestic populations who have migrated as a way of exerting soft power in a multicultural um, immigrant nation like Australia. The crucial thing is a state which is fiercely anti-racist and that protects the human rights of its citizens. And that's the, that's the point at which the grind happens. Because if you look at, for instance, some of the debates about what China has said mm. to the Chinese in Australia about loyalty to Australia, it's you can't trust the Australian government to protect you mm. when Australia goes racist. Mm -hmm. right? Only the power of China can protect you if Australia goes racist. Now, it seems to me that the crucial thing for, for Australians, or, or however many different ethnic national backgrounds we have, over 190, is that everyone feels and trusts that the government, the state, the institutions will protect them equally, irrespective of their ethnic background. Mm. And that's, that's the, uh, the point of tension that we are now facing, mm. right? Mm. And I think mm. that point of tension is, you know, is by no means resolved and in one sense will never be ultimately resolved. But it points to why a human rights-based multicultural strategy is absolutely crucial for the well-being of Australia as a multicultural society and as a country that can feel confident about arguing on a human rights basis elsewhere in the world. Mm. And I think that's the point of you know, what, what the, the sinophobic um, conversation is putting a, a spotlight on is exactly the failure of the Australian government um, and other Australian institutions, including the media, to recognise how important that is, not because it's politically correct, but because it's practically smart mm. to make sure that your population trusts you. Jay, I said I know I said we had the last uh, final question <laughs> then, but I'm just going to chuck one at you on the way out, which is hearing this debate and being an active participant in this debate. Um, are you fundamentally optimistic or pessimistic? That there's going to be, I, to cut a trite way of saying it, but is there going to be a happy ending to this? I've always believed that you know, the majority of Australians are in support of um, multiculturalism, inclusion, and cultural diversity. I think the biggest mistake in this debate thus far is the lack of recognition of the contribution made by Chinese Australians, by politicians by journalists and by commentators and academics as well, um, you know, trying to sideline Chinese Australians in this debate, you are fundamentally doing Beijing's work for them because China's 
soft power approach is uh, you you know overseas Chinese are an important entity um, within you know have made a strong contribution to China in the past. Um, please come back. We've got great opportunities for you. Mm. And for countries like Australia and the US to sideline um, their diaspora communities, you are throwing us into China's hands. Mm, look, and, yep. and, and I think, um, you know, the way to counter that is for our politicians, especially senior ministers and, you know, shadow ministers to come out and actually embrace and recognise and celebrate the role of Chinese Australians, not so much around festivals and food, but giving us an opportunity to be involved in the decision-making process, have us at the decision-making table, support more Chinese Australians to be involved in politics, in the media, in the high levels of business and academic and the academic world, um, rather than um, sidelining us and treating us with suspicion. Mm. That's a great point to finish this debate. I have a feeling we could be talking for another mm. three hours. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the interesting things to look out for, and we'll come back to this next year, is, of course, what happens in the lead-up to the election. But for now, that about wraps up this edition of The Middle. Um, I'd like to th thank our guest today, Andrew Akobodich from University of Technology, Sydney, Emeritus Professor, and uh, Jay Young Lo for being such wonderful guests. I should also like to acknowledge the wonderful contribution of Amy Ma, our producer, to this show. It wouldn't happen without her. And if you missed anything from today's shows, please check out the podcast uh, on the 2SER website, uh, 2SER.com. And for our Mandarin-speaking listeners and watchers, please check out the Mandarin subtitle version of the show on YouTube. YouTube. You just need to search 2SER The Middle. Until next time, it's goodbye from Peter Frey. It's goodbye from Wen Sam. See you next time. Thank you. Bye.